Today's podcast is brought to you by the Ashbrook Center. The Ashbrook Center is an independent center at Ashland University that teaches students, teachers, and citizens what it means to be an American. Ashbrook's new book, 50 Core American Documents, tells America's story from the founding through the 20th century using original historical documents. Get your copy of Ashbrook's 50 Core American Documents today in the iTunes store or at 50docs.org. That's 50docs.org. Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us from the Weekly Standard is Bill Crystal. Huge news today, Bill, both uh, here and abroad, but they both relate to foreign policy. Secretary of Defense uh, Chuck Hagel is out, and the Iranian uh, negotiations are apparently on some kind of hold, hiatus. We're not sure. Uh, so let's start with uh, Secretary Hagel. This was, I, I didn't see this coming. Did you? No. I mean, both news uh, items are, are obviously failures of the Obama administration. President Obama appointed Secretary Hagel or then former Senator Hagel two years ago. A lot of us opposed his nomination and his confirmation, thinking he wasn't up to the job and had a poor record in the Senate on various national security-related issues, mostly just that he really wasn't up to the job of being Secretary of Defense. Uh, Obama wanted him. He wanted a token Republican in there to preside over the gutting of the Defense Department and to give him cover, I think, in some of the in national security matters. Uh, and now they've tossed him overboard, and White House aides on background are saying, oh, he wasn't up to the job. I, I, I wish for the country's sake, I, I say this sincerely, I mean, that they had listened to some of us two years ago, since we might have had a had stronger leadership at the Defense Department over the preceding two years. But I, but I also very much want to say this. Uh, Chuck Hagel is not the problem. You know, Barack Obama's the problem. It's his policies. He's the one who talked about the red line in Syria and did nothing. He's the one who's pursuing the half-hearted bombing campaign against ISIS. He's the one who wants to cave to Iran. He's the one who's obsessed with Israel building, uh, you know, apartment buildings in North Jerusalem. Uh, Chuck Hagel was executing Barack Obama's policy. So insofar as they've thrown him overboard, it's more because it's more as a scapegoat, I think, than anything else. You know, when I first heard the news, I thought, oh, I wonder if this is connected to the decision of President Obama to uh, restore the policy of a combat role for the troops who were staying in Afghanistan. We were supposed to have the end of combat by the end of this year, and they were only going to be there training Afghan military uh, forces and maybe looking for al-Qaeda. Now they're going to be back to fighting the Taliban, essentially a mission unchanged, just fewer soldiers to do it. And I thought maybe this is uh, President Obama reacting to that. Maybe Chuck Hagel didn't like this idea. But it's interesting, I talked to some people this morning, Bill, and their attitude is, oh, no, no, Hagel had kind of come around on, we've got to muscle up in Afghanistan, and they think that's one reason why he was uh, invited to pursue other options, as they say. Yeah, I don't have the impression that Hegel was a restraining force on Obama. If anything, I think a little bit the opposite. I think he, you know, he, he's a dove, and he's not where I am on foreign policy, obviously. But I think as Secretary of Defense, he listened to the generals. He listened to the uh, serious people in the Defense Department and realized that it was irresponsible to pull out completely, as Obama wanted, from a combat role in Afghanistan. He may have also told President Obama that if we're going to do some fighting, we should probably have enough forces to fight seriously and not try to do it with this artificial low level that President Obama has kept U.S. forces at in Afghanistan. And with ISIS in Iraq and Syria, the one split between Hegel and the, and the White House that we've seen over the last several months is when Hegel was clearly much more alarmed about ISIS uh, than, than the president was willing to let on. Uh, I don't think Hegel was ever on board the notion that this was just the JV. So um, it's really, uh, it, to the degree there were policy differences, I suspect Hegel was a bit of a voice for being tougher uh, rather than uh, more dovish than, than Obama. 
Uh, so the, I thought the, one of the things I was uh, picking up on is the New York Times is reporting that Hegel is pushed out. Is this a, you know, the, obviously the ISIS stuff isn't working. I'm trying to figure, I'm trying to put these together. So ISIS isn't working. The president's not going to change his policy. So he's going to dump somebody, then bring someone else in to have the same policy, hoping that no, it'll work ridic- this time. It's ridiculous. I mean, that's why I do think he's being treated as a scapegoat. You know, when Bush dumped Rumsfeld, he then changed policy right. the surge in Iraq, and he brought in Gates to execute that. And that, so there was a certain, uh, made sense to change leadership if you're changing strategy. There's no evidence, and I don't think President Obama has given us any evidence, that he wants to change strategy. Um, and as I say, if anything, I think Hegel was probably more, a little more right than Obama was about some of these, some of these threats. So I am told Hegel was very unhappy with, with the White House. Uh, one senator, I, I heard this secondhand, but whom Hegel saw recently, said Hegel just couldn't believe, just as a, this is not about ideology, this is just a practical matter, how micromanaging these you know, junior White House staff were, how little respect they had for uh, you know, a cabinet secretary or chairman of the Joint Chiefs or the other senior officials at the Defense Department. That's consistent with everything that Gates and Panetta have said about the Obama White House. And so I really, you know, I was a critic of Hegel, and a lot of people called me up today and said, oh, well, you were right, you should feel vindicated. But I actually don't. I feel sort of sorry for Hegel. And I, and I really think the White House staff and the President of the United States, the guy who's, for whom that staff works, should be held accountable for the failures of foreign policy, and, and they should not be able to distract us by saying, you know, with this firing of Chuck Hagel. It is kind of disturbing to see a model that's, you know, based on the old Stalinist model of sending in your political officer you know, with your leadership team to help fight the war to make sure the political ends are being met. Uh, meanwhile, there are real existential issues involved with Iran becoming a nuclear power. And uh, the vibe I get from the White House is 100 percent political. It is all about the political perceived win of getting a deal with the Iranians. I mean, Lee Smith had a good piece on our website this morning just detailing how many concessions the Obama administration was willing to make concessions that they had vowed and everyone else had vowed would never be made in terms of centrifuges and in terms of uh, lack of verification and lack of coming clean on previous military operations by the uh, as parts of the Iranian nuclear program. Uh, they tried to cave, but the Iranians wouldn't, in a sense, take, take, take caving for an answer. They wanted to humiliate the U.S. in a way. And they also knew they could get this extension. Think about that. I mean, they get, now they get seven months. I guess they continue to get more sanctions relief. They move ahead on key parts of their nuclear program, and they're not committed to anything. They haven't dismantled a thing. Uh, I think Congress needs to step in now. Congress needs to say, this is ridiculous. We need to put the sanctions back in effect. They were probably what brought Iran to the table in the first place. Instead of letting them get further relaxed, which means at some point they'll be impossible to bring back, um, there needs to be a bipartisan effort. I think there could be a bipartisan effort in Congress, but if not bipartisan, the Republicans have to have to spearhead it to get serious about the sanctions and not and also to make clear that Obama's concessions don't stand. That we're not reduced now to the position that the Obama administration was reduced to in these last few days. It's kind of a humiliating defeat, though, for uh, Secretary Kerry and for the Obama administration. Uh, some friends of Rural Garak, who writes for us, you know, have predicted this, that uh, the, the Iranians like taking the concessions, but they like even better humiliating the U.S., and, and we shouldn't kid ourselves. This is a, uh, I'm glad there isn't a bad deal, but on the other hand, uh, the deal that would be hit, would be agreed to seven months from now, if they get this extension, will be even worse. 
and that's why the uh, there's been a lot of talk that no deal is better than any deal we're going to get under the current circumstances. And therefore, there might be an upside in the fact that at least we're going to wait. But what concerns me, Bill, is normalizing the idea that Iran can be and should be in the uranium enriching business. I mean, I think that debate is pretty much over. I think that this has been conceded for so long. Could you possibly get that genie back? In other words, can we even go back to the status quo before this process began? Look, that is the right question, and that's why some of us have been so unhappy about this process for a while. There's a real price to be paid, even if Congress acts, even if Congress tries to get us back to the status quo. And it's not going to be easy to do, but this is the last chance in a way to do it. I think if people just roll over and accept this extension, then we're just sliding downhill. And the question is how bad the deal will be when finally there is a deal, if there ever is one, whether we just let Iran keep uh, uh, getting sanctions relief until there's, they don't need a deal. They just have nuclear weapons and no sanctions. So we're, the administration's put us on a very bad path. I do think this gives Republicans in Congress, and not just Republicans, it gives Congress a chance to step in and say, okay, we gave you every chance. You resisted our efforts to do some things three, four, five months ago, and now we are stepping in here because this is too dangerous for the country. Uh, one last question for you. Uh, George Will's a smart guy. He's you know a little more on the isolation end of the of the political spectrum. And he said over the weekend, essentially, we're not going to go to war with Iran, so we just need to get our minds around the nuclear Iran. There's going to be a nuclear Iran because we are not prepared to do what it'll take to stop them. Number one, do you agree? And number two, if those are the only two options, is Will right that that no a nuclear Iran is the best of two bad options? No, I think George is wrong. I think uh, airstrikes, for example, to set back the nuclear program and buy time to try to change the, uh, I, the the intentions of the Iranian regime or change the Iranian regime uh, or help people in Iran change the Iranian regime uh, altogether is a much better option. Uh, you know, saying that we're not going to do anything, it can become a self-fulfilling prophecy, but there's no reason to accept that. I mean, there's plenty we can do to set back the Iranian nuclear program. And in my view, we should be doing it. A world with, an Iran, uh, with a nuclear Iran, which also is a world with, I think, a nuclear weapons capable Saudi Arabia and Egypt and Turkey, probably just for starters. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a Middle East that's just unstable and dangerous, almost, almost beyond comprehension. And God knows it's plenty unstable and dangerous right now. And it just gets you know, exponentially more unstable and more dangerous. And uh, I think we have a huge interest in stopping that, or at least delaying it and not being prematurely kind of fatalistic about the the fact that we allegedly can't do anything about it. Uh, one last, last question. So now that Chuck Hagel's gone, are we looking for a short list? You know, there are rumors that uh, given that he consulted with the president very, very recently, uh, Secretary of Defense Al Sharpton, is that on the list, Bill? You know, I mean, y- 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 you'd like to laugh, but uh, instead one feels like crying because God knows uh, who's, I mean, who is making foreign policy in this White House right now? I guess Valerie Jarrett's crucial. Uh, Susan Rice, not someone I've, I think has been really uh, correct about a lot of things over the years. A former staffer named Dennis McDonough, who's now the chief of staff. Uh, Joe Biden. I mean, it's really scary. I mean, uh, the first term, I didn't agree with mo- all of them most of the time, or most of them most of the time, but you had Gates and Clinton and Petraeus and Panetta, who were serious people. The second term, Kerry and Hagel's a real step down. Now they've even thrown Hagel overboard. I don't believe Obama will put in anyone of any independent standing or stature. Uh, he wants a bunch of yes men and women, and that's, that is not good for the country. Bill Crystal, thanks so much for your time on this podcast. We appreciate it. My pleasure, Michael. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.